Okay, um, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice in me. Father, we pray that your word would, uh, Lord, that you'd help me to explain and to talk through this. Father, I pray that your spirit would be speaking to us. Lord, we pray for your spirit and your word to be at work in our life. Father, we ask that we would be changed. Help us to be obedient to what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want us to look a bit about God at work in our lives as Christians, making us more like Jesus. In this letter we've seen over the last weeks, Paul has spoken of his joy at their partnership with him in the gospel. He's excited that together they serve. When we were hearing some of those wonderful testimonies from Lebanon, I was just thinking, isn't it exciting that we're part of gospel partnerships throughout the world? As a church, we have partnerships in, in Lebanon there, in, in India, in Kosovo, in Bangladesh, and, and in other places to make Jesus known. And Paul was excited about partnership in the gospel. He encouraged them that despite the difficulties that he had faced, that they had faced, that they were going through persecution, he said that my circumstances have turned out for the progress of the gospel. Paul measured things not by his personal comfort, but actually by God at work. Last week, we looked at the fact that Paul had written to them and said, you know, make my joy complete by being of one mind and heart. Paul had, uh, even when he was going through these difficulties, it's almost as if he's saying, you know, the one thing that would make my day is if you guys were united. And then he spoke of the need for humility, for placing others above ourselves. He showed them that Jesus is their example of humility, but not just the example of humility, but also the means to it as we, uh, as we are filled with the spirit of the risen Christ. Today, I want to look at God at work in our lives, making us more like Jesus. In all of this, obedience is the key. Obedience is the key. We see that Christ at work in our life is about God at work and us saying yes. Our 
decision as Christians is whether we will be obedient. It prefaces this passage, the power of obedience. So I want us to look at that. Let's have a look at this first part, growing, working out your salvation. I want us to see what God does and what we do. What does it mean for us to live a life that is truly, truly Christian, that's becoming more like Jesus day by day? Verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here we see that this idea of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's partly about what God does, and it's partly about what we do. And we can see in when it comes to being made more like Christ, some people can tend to default to the idea that it's all about what God does, almost let go and let God. That somehow we are passive in it, and it's only what God does. Other people make things all about what they do. That they, There's that sense of striving that they carry. And actually, if we look at this passage and the, the, the teaching of the New Testament as a cohesive whole, we see that actually we are made more like Christ through God at work in us and through us saying yes, through us responding to God's work, to, to us responding to the leading of God's Spirit, but for, through us actually making a choice to be obedient, making a choice, making some decisions about how we become more Christ-like. Some of us really need to hear today that God is at work in your life, beyond your own effort. Others of us here really need to hear today that God is at work, but also you can't be passive in that, and you need to do your part in this all. Salvation is worked in us by God through his Holy Spirit as we place our faith in Jesus. That is the work of God. Our response is simply to believe. So salvation is never because of our own effort. It's worked in us by the Holy Spirit. But actually salvation is worked out by our choice to be obedient. And I think it's really important we understand that. We can only uh, experience new birth through the work of God, through God's choosing, through His calling, through the Holy Spirit at work in our life. But actually, as we are made new in Christ, we have to choose, make decisions, and we have to walk out in a sense of obedience and to work out our salvation. We are called to work out our salvation, but we are never called to work for our salvation. And it's so important we understand that. Good works can never, ever make us acceptable to God. Good works can never, ever make us right, bring us into right standing with God. It is only through faith 
in Jesus. We cannot, through good works, earn salvation. That's what man-made religion does. In whatever flavor it is, it is man trying to make himself acceptable to God through his actions. As Christians, we believe it is only through faith in Christ that we can be made new. We cannot work out, we cannot work for our salvation, but we are called to work out our salvation. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8 and 9 reminds us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works. And so if you're in that place where you're trying to make yourself acceptable to God, maybe you're trying saying, God, I want to uh, I want to be right with you. God, I want to lead a good life. Know that we can only be made right with God through faith in Jesus. It's so, so important. It is only through faith. But because we have been made new, then Paul calls us here to work out our salvation. I want us to see that salvation is God's work in us. It's God's work in mankind. And we want to see that God, we need to really realize and understand that God is at work in our past, in our present, in our future. So when we think about what it means to be saved, there are three elements that I want us just to, to briefly take a look at. The first one of those is being justified, being made right with God, saved from the penalty of our sin. And that happens when you put your faith in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, you were justified. You were made right with God. And God saves you from the penalty of your sin. What Paul is talking about here in this passage is the idea of being sanctified, being made more like Jesus day to day. That's God at work in us in the present, being freed from the practice of sin. If, if being justified frees us from the penalty of sin, as we are sanctified, we are freed from the practice of sin. God changing us from the inside out, being made more like Jesus every day. We see the future aspect of salvation in terms of being glorified when we will have resurrection bodies and we will be with Christ and we will be free even from the very presence of sin. And Paul writes into the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, that sense of the process of being sanctified, of becoming more like Christ. And I believe that our sanctification is an active process, not just a passive one. It's not something that God does in a, in a, in a way that is separate to our response, to our obedience, to our choices. But we are sanctified. We go through that process of being made more like Jesus as we willingly choose to be obedient to him, as we grow into mature believers. Please understand, being a mature Christian isn't an age thing. It's not an age thing. I've met 
some older people who've been Christians for years, but certainly aren't in any sense spiritually mature. I've met young people who carry about them a sense of maturity in God way beyond their years. The process that God is at work making us more like Jesus, but it's something that we get to say yes to. It's something that we get to to be obedient in. So what does this passage show us about uh, in terms of our responsibility for becoming more Christ-like? Firstly, I believe that there is this sense of active obedience. Active obedience. We see that phrase uh, about being obedient right at the start of this passage. Paul places obedience at the heart of it. As he looks back, the example, remember uh, this passage starts uh, with a therefore, which brings us back to the previous passage, which shows the example of Jesus. And if we look to his example, that's Paul, uh, that, that wonderful passage about how Christ humbled himself and came as man, took on human flesh. That was an outworking of active obedience of Jesus to God the Father. Obedience is always the key in our lives, I believe, to sanctification, to being made more like Jesus. It is that ability to say yes to God. Jesus was obedient to the Father. I don't know about you, as a kid, I used to grow up singing that song, Trust and Obey. You know, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. But realistically, trust is obedience. I once heard somebody said, the only bit of Scripture that we really believe are those that we obey. The point of all Christian teaching is to lead us towards obedience to God. I want to encourage you as you hear sermons in the church, as you study the Bible, be asking yourself, what is it God is calling me to obey through hearing this, through understanding it? What is it that God is calling me to respond to Him through? So in all of your Bible study, let's not just fill our heads with knowledge, but let's approach the Bible, let's allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, but let's come with a sense of wanting to actively be obedient. It says here, Paul says, you know, uh, as uh, he talks about the obedience that they have, uh, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And what he's saying is the obedience that you have towards God isn't just a response to Paul as a preacher. They weren't being obedient just because Paul was keeping an eye on them. But actually, he wanted them to be obedient to God as a choice and a response of their heart. You know, we are called to more than just conformity and conformity to rules and regulations and and church stuff. We are called to active obedience toward God. Now, I went to quite a rough, large, comprehensive school in South London, and uh, a lot of our teachers were often... Uh, absent quite a lot. 
we, we, they were quite good at not being in school. <laughs> um, I was quite good at not being in school as well. But we often had uh, cover lessons. And at the start of a cover lesson, they would generally send a strict disciplinarian teacher in who would say, now today, boys, it was an all-boys school, today, boys, I want you to behave. I don't want any nonsense. And everybody would be like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. The moment that teacher left, we would all run riot. And literally, supply teachers in our school had no discipline in the classroom at all. Why? Because our obedience was tied to the presence of the strict teacher. But when the cover teacher is in there, there was no sense of obedience. Because our hearts weren't obedient. We were just following a rule. And that's a bit like Paul's writing here. He says, you know, more so even when I am not there. Their obedience was Christ-focused. What we see here in terms of our work of, of saying yes to God, of being obedient, of wanting to become more like Christ, comes from an active focus on Jesus. I've said the passage that's just gone really focuses on Jesus as our example. He is our example, but also our means. He's the one that makes it possible. As we imitate Christ, he enables us to be obedient. The, um, this passage also talks about the, my dear friends. In, in your version, it might say dearly loved or dearly beloved. I think they were loved by Paul, but Paul wanted them to know that they were loved by God. Ultimately, I think as we know the love of God, we become more Christ-like. It's what stops this being just a cold response. It's what stops it becoming just trying harder. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And I think really knowing and understanding the love of God is transformative in terms of wanting to obey Jesus. We really know and understand the love of God. If we want to work out our salvation, let's decide to be obedient followers of Jesus. Let's actively uh, focus on Jesus and his work in our life. But also know that you are loved by God. Know that you are loved by God. How do we practically outwork this sense of working out our salvation with fear and trembling? It's quite an intense verse. It's got the kind of language that some of us really don't like. We want to think almost of our becoming more like Christ as something that just happens to us. I think there are some really key things that we can do. Firstly, we can pursue what is right. You know, what is right? Pursuing what is right. Where are we fixing our attention? You know, one of the great rules in life generally is that you, uh, you arrive at the direction of your travel. And as we put our focus and our attention, that's where we go. What we set our eyes and our mind on takes us somewhere. Paul, um, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, the writer reminds us to fix 
our eyes on Jesus. I want to encourage you, does he have your attention? We decide we want to be more like Christ, that our focus, our attention is on him. The correlation with that, the direct consequence of that, is that it means actively walking away from what is wrong. If we want to become more like Christ, we have to actively make choices, not just to focus on Jesus, but as we do, to actively choose to walk away from what is wrong. Part of this sense of working out our salvation is to realize there are things that have claims on our heart, the things that trip us up, that we need to be aware of and we need to actively walk away from. You've probably heard that old story about a guy who said he broke his arm in three places and his friend said, stay out of those places. Friends, what are the places in your life that trip you up? What are the things that you easily go back to? What are the areas of weakness and difficulty? You know, in... And I want to encourage you, and we've talked about this a lot recently, but find someone and somewhere and places where you can confess your sin to others. Ask people to hold you to account. Ask people to help you walk out areas of struggle and difficulty in your life. To work out our salvation, I believe we need to be actively pursuing spiritual disciplines in our life. And friends, that comes partly from a choice. You know, we can sit there saying, okay, I'm going to sit and read the Bible when I feel led. But the reality is we'll feel like doing something else. We can sit and say, I'll pray when I feel led. But the reality is other things are going to take our time and attention. Developing spiritual disciplines and spiritual practice is such an important part of this sense of working out your salvation. You know, the word, are we taking time to read and to study and submit ourselves to the word of God? John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We see God at work making us more like Jesus as we actively choose to engage our minds, as we actively choose to submit ourselves to the Word of God. Friends, we need to take and make a practice and a discipline of taking time in the Word of God. I want to challenge you, is that part of your routine? And routine can be a really good thing. Habit can be a really good thing in building spiritual discipline into your life. If it's only habit, it's not going to count for much. Because, but if you invest your heart, then you will start to form good habits. Are we taking time to pray? You know, this sense of seeing the power of sin broken in our life and becoming more Christ-like. Mark 14, 38 says, Jesus says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Are we taking time to pray?
pray. And by prayer, I don't mean just coming with a long list. If, if we want to become more Christ-like, we need to practice the presence of God. Simply being in relationship to God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that may sit, seem like sitting and just simply being silent. Sometimes that may be fervent intercession. Sometimes it may be active, waiting on God, listening for his voice. But if we want to become more like Jesus, we need to practice being in the presence of God. Practice stilling in our heart. I find that tough. I like to do. I like to, to, I've always want something on. I've got, even if I'm writing something, I want the telly on in the background and maybe even the radio at the same time. And I like noise. And, um, but we have to find ways simply to quiet our hearts and to allow God to change us. We are changed in the very presence of God. If we want to become more Christ-like, we need to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. When it comes to that sense of actively choosing to follow the commands of Christ and choosing not to walk in what just comes naturally, Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Friends, God's Spirit wants to make us more like Jesus. But again, there's that sense of choice. Are we placing our heart and mind in a place of being obedient to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life? Part of working out our salvation is the sense of community that comes. Paul wrote this letter to be read aloud to the Philippian church. He's not, this is not a sense of individualism working out your salvation with fear and trembling in a kind of hyper-individualistic sense. No, the call is to work out their salvation together. The context of Christian discipleship is primarily the local church. And friends, we need relationships. We need accountability. We need encouragement. We need each of us to be a part of a local church. You know, if you're visiting today, you're very welcome here. But please, whether it's this church or somewhere else, make a choice to be involved in and committed to a local church, somewhere where you can grow together with a fellowship of other believers. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love if you read Hebrews, that passage, we, we see that paradox of God at work. It's prefaced by this incredible sense of what Christ has done for us, the completed work of Jesus. Jesus dealing with our sin, making us right before God, but also that ongoing cleansing work of the Spirit at work in our life. And our response in that is to draw near. That passage encourages us to spur one another on. 
not neglecting to meet together. You know, relationships within a committed body of believers will help us to become more Christ-like. Sometimes the things that will be most useful to us are the things that actually are the most difficult. You know, I know in my life, some of the people that have wound me up the wrong way, the people that cause me to want to tear my hair out, that cause me to want to growl and scream at them, have most to teach me, and God is able to use them for my sanctification. Sometimes not always in a positive way, but actually part of being in the local church means that we have to be with people who are different. As a church, we passionately believe in loving God, loving one another, and loving our community. But also, we believe in being multicultural and multi-generational. Why? Because we need people who are different to us. If we are only hanging around with people similar to us, it will just feed into our narcissism. If we only hang around with people like us, then we miss out on the work of God through him at work in others. So I really want to encourage you. You know, be around within uh, a body that are going to be really challenging to you. There's a sense in which if we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, then we need to actively strive to live the godly life. Not in a passive sense, but in an, in an active sense. 1 Timothy 4, 7 talks about training yourself in godliness. You know, when we think about training and we think about athletes or people going to the gym, there's an element of choice, there's an element of cost, but also an element of commitment. You know, when you see one of these profiles on an athlete and you find out that every day they get up at a certain time, they choose to do stuff, the things that they forego, why? Because they're in training. There's a bigger picture that they're prepared to make sacrifices for. I think if we're going to grow in our Christ-likeness, we need to grow in our conviction and discernment. I want to say that it's really important that as followers of Jesus, we come to embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I believe, in one sense, the more mature in Christ we get, the more sensitive we become to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not like we come to this place where everything is just easy. But actually, as we grow in Christ, we grow in our knowledge of God. We grow in our relationship with Jesus through his Holy Spirit. And we grow more sensitive to being convicted of our sin. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Friends, my reflection, my understanding is that there are far too many careless Christians. We're not careful about how we live. The attitude beyond all of this that underpins it all is to work out our salvation, in what sense? With fear and trembling. 
That means pursuing actively a closeness, a closer walk with God, a greater Christ-likeness, but also with a sense of the holiness of God. There is a place to fear God. It's really interesting. Paul writes to them that they should work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And I think in terms of the UK church, we don't do that very well. We've lost a sense of the majesty of God. Somebody said we've made the almighty the almighty. And friends, I'm all for being informal as a church. But we should never be casual about the things of God. The effect that Paul speaks there, a sense of fear and trembling. Please understand, he's not asking them to fear for their salvation. I believe that as followers of Jesus, of those who know what it is to be made new, we can and should be confident in the fact of our salvation. We don't need to be constantly second-guessing it. But actually, we need to be aware of our own frailty and weakness at times. In Corinthians, Paul says, uh, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And what we see is Paul wasn't doubting his salvation When he talks about coming to them with fear and trembling, it's not an insecurity in God, but he's not prepared to put confidence in his own flesh. He didn't want to get it wrong. He didn't want them or himself to miss out on what God wanted to do in his life and their lives because of his own hard-heartedness. And friends, to fear and tremble before God is to acknowledge that God is, is holy and perfect. We need to understand that. We need to understand the holiness of God. Understanding that God is holy. Understanding his perfection and our imperfection. Understanding the fact that so much of the time our hearts are divided will lead us to fear God. But then also, let's see the other side. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In all of those things which are great without desiring to be changed, desiring actively to say yes to God, to be obedient, to develop spiritual discipline. Understand that is not just about human striving, but it is realizing that it is God at work. It is God at work. God is at work making us more like Jesus. God is at work challenging our hearts. God is at work initiating prayer, initiating our desire for the word of God. It is his spirit that leads us. 
God is at work in making us more like Jesus. You know, if we look at this passage, this book, we see that Paul's already talked about the fact that, that the progress of the gospel has come through his circumstances, difficulties, which found him literally in chains in a prison. God wants to use our circumstances to make us more Christ-like. Some of those things in our life that we maybe wish never happened, God is going to be at work using those things. God is going to be at work causing us to realize the coldness of our own hearts. One of the greatest agents in my sanctification was a woman I was on a mission team with who I really couldn't stand the sight of. I'm not talking a little bit. Every, if, a, anything that I would dislike is exactly what she would like. Anything that she would call good, I would think was bad. And to top it all, she was a morning person. She was sharing a small flat, a team of us, and she played the trumpet. But she played the trumpet exceedingly badly and exceedingly early. That caused me to realize the hardness of my own heart. That caused me to realize that you can be on a mission team and still want to get up and swear at someone in the morning. Why? Because God showed me stuff that was in my own heart. Now, I would love to say, therefore, I appreciated this person, but the one time I bumped into her after this, I was in a Christian bookshop in Streatham, and I literally climbed into the window display when I saw her to hide behind this display so I wouldn't have to talk to her. So maybe it was only partial work, but I learned so much, and God is at work in your boss who's a nightmare. God is at work when your kids are playing up. God is at work with your neighbor who likes to play their music loud. I'm not saying God causes it, but God will use it to make you more Christ-like. Why? Because God is at work. Not in a passive sense, but in an active sense. And our choice in all of this is to be obedient. Our choice is to say yes to God. Why is God at work? For His purpose and for His pleasure, it may say, in your, in your Bible there. It's really interesting. God is not at work in your life so you feel good. God never promised to give you good feels in Scripture. He never promised to make you just excited. God is at work for His pleasure. God is at work because He wants to be. God is at work because He chooses to be. God is at work because He alone is God. And friends, you don't have a receipt that you get to bring back to God and say, I didn't think, it's not what I signed up to. But God is at work. God gives us the tools to be changed. God gives us the ability. God gives us the ability to be obedient because we can't even do that without him. But our choice is one of obedience. Are we prepared to be obedient? God is at work in you. 
because he has a purpose for you. God is at work in you for more than just saving you from hell. Sometimes we can view it just as that, you know, divine insurance policy. But God is at work in you for this life and the life to come. It's not just about the past. It's not just about the now. But God is at work in you, in your salvation, in justifying you, in sanctifying you, and one day in glorifying you. My challenge to you this week is are we going to say yes? Are we going to be obedient? Next week, we're going to get into, next time I speak, we're going to get into the second half of this passage, looking at what does it mean to do all things without grumbling? What does it mean to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked generation? But for now, the challenge is, what does obedience for you look like this week? I pray that God would challenge you. I pray in a very nice way that all of us would have people in our lives this week like that woman Vanessa who wound me up but taught me so much about my own coldness of heart. I pray that in great ways and very positive upbuilding ways, God would encourage you this week. But I pray that however is at work, that you and I would be people who say yes in obedience to him.